Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. Y'all be a little more enthusiastic. You know, I traveled a long way. Actually, I've heard about you. You're notorious throughout the world. My name's Nancy. I'm a real alcohol. A chorus is what you put Because of a loving and very patient God and the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous people just like you, I've been sober since November the 7th, 1981, and I'm grateful for you. I want you to know that I hear, I, I, I love the applause that comes for sobriety, because I know that we're applauding Alcoholics Anonymous, and what an exciting time, 70 years This is such a privilege to be right here celebrating 70 years of one alcoholic talking to another and the success. I was a little nervous when she was doing the special reading. I thought she was introducing the speaker. uh, uh, So... But what a a great thing. You know, sobriety, the great life. Because you know what? The reason I introduced myself as a real alcoholic, I made a commitment to my sponsor, my late sponsor, that I would never forget that because I don't want you to think I was one of those people who actually was alcoholic when I got here. I wasn't. <laughs> I was much too intelligent and successful for that. I seem to have caught it in the last few years and, and uh, liked basically what you have and, uh, and decided to come back. But you know what? I wish that were a joke, but it was true. I had, I had not a clue that I had a problem with alcohol when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. And your response to that was, we've got a meeting tomorrow night. I sure hope you'll come back. (laughs) So I'm really grateful for that, that you let people like me come back, even though, trust me, you're glad you weren't there at my first meeting. I want to thank Dick for the phone call. It is without question a privilege to be a part of any meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. That, too, is not an attitude that I brought in November of 1981. Never understood why every time you looked up, your sponsor was saying, well, just say thank you. And I'd be like, and you know what? I hope if you're new, you'll stick around long enough to to mean the thank you from your very core that it's a privilege to be a small part of a really big deal. And I recognize tonight that I am simply that. It's just my turn. Um, I thank Jim for making arrangements. I thank Barb, my sponsee Barb, for traveling with me and just just the privilege of being here. I want to get through a little business. I want to tell the interpreter, if this gets kind of boring, can you at least spice it up for them? Also... um, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is is that I remembered my glasses, and I can, in fact, see my watch. The bad news is is that I'm a teacher, and time means absolutely nothing to me. So, I want to sit back. What a life. You know, I... uh, I am a real alcoholic. The big book describes me perfectly and often about being a real alcoholic. Because when I first got into to, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, I just went because somebody else told me I was in trouble. And that day I'd have gone to the zoo to get what I wanted. I, it didn't matter to me. I didn't have a clue I was in trouble, but I, but I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and it was suggested that I read the first 164 pages and sort of mark, uh, highlight, whatever, those things that I could relate to. Well, it didn't take long for me. I just kept flipping those pages and feeling pretty bad about y'all. <laughs> you know, I was like, ooh, it's kind of sad. 
you know, and clueless, clueless. And uh, the good news is, is that I hooked up with the, with the people in Alcoholics Anonymous that didn't give up on my arrogance and kept saying, well, maybe if you read it again. Maybe if you read it again, maybe, and I was sort of editing along the way too, because I am an English teacher, and uh, I didn't really appreciate how it was written, and I thought maybe that was the point. If I could just, I want you to know that I've been sober since '81, and nobody's asked me for my edited copy of Alcoholics Anonymous. You'd think I'd throw it away. No, but the truth is, is that. I was clueless, and that's very significant to me because, see, some of you in the room tonight uh, came in knowing that you were done, knowing that you were in trouble. See, I brought you uh, an arrogance and a feeling of superiority that was actually based on absolute terror, but I couldn't tell you that. But I didn't have a clue that I was in trouble. And I have great awe for those people who come in and, 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 start, and, and don't start every sentence with, yeah, but are you sure that's appropriate to me? <laughs> the people that know they're done, and I have, uh, I have great, great admiration for that. But I also want to tell you thank you to people who in, who in Alcoholics Anonymous put up with people like me who came in the smartest people they knew. I was the smartest person I knew. I, you know, I lived in a new house and I drove a new car. How could I be in trouble? And I, I was totally clueless, and, and I really hope you hear that. I want you to hear uh, the desperation and the, and the arrogance that I brought to you because it's such a tribute to Alcoholics Anonymous because you really did invite me back. And i got to tell you, after my first meeting, I think that if I was the chairperson, I would have got up and said, you know, we're moving this group. We're just not sure where it's going to be because I was horrible. I was horrible. Imagine this. In my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I can multitask because I'm really smart. <laughs> I remember I was trying to listen in case something, somebody said something actually uh, significant. And, uh, but I was memorizing the steps. Now, you, you're going to get to hear that my whole life has been around education. And I'm kind of thinking there might be a question and answer period. <laughs> Somewhere before the meeting was over, and I was not going to be caught. I wish this was a joke. This is a true story. You know, and I'm memorizing in case you refer to something and I need to sort of respond. And, uh, but I'm also listening and I'm also very embarrassed with the young lady who's crying in public at, at the meeting. And I, and I'm making a mental note to tell her what that looks like, that she needs to, you know. That's the best I had for you in November of 1981. And I walked in, and, and uh, at the end of that meeting, I want you to remember what they said. They said, you know, we're, we meet here again tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, and sure hope you'll come. Because i got to tell you, I needed, people were not inviting me back very many places, and my arrogance was, is, was truly beyond description. But I have to tell you a, a little bit about growing up in alcoholism. I'm not going to uh, talk about that a lot, but... I don't know if you've ever experienced when you were sharing in a meeting a real truth about yourself, something that you realized had such an impact on your sobriety. And this happened to me. I, I realized that, that I was no longer pointing the finger necessarily at, at, at growing up uh, in an alcoholic home. I wasn't blaming, but I really literally saw the significance of when I decided to take my first drink. What happened is that I was born a while ago. Uh, it's kind of hard to remember actually uh, uh, into alcoholism now I know that today and you know people who are born today probably know that there's a lot of talk about alcoholism it's out there but I gotta tell you in 1948 there wasn't a lot of talk about alcoholism I didn't know that but what I do know now is that I was the child born if we have another baby maybe things will change I know that's not unique, and I know it's still happening tonight, okay? People making that decision. What, what, what event could happen that could make things different, could make things change? Well, I couldn't have known that. All I know is that when I got home from my earliest memory in that home, it was tense. It was tense. My father uh, drank, and when he drank, he, didn't, he was a real alcoholic. He didn't know whether he was going to drink a little bit. He didn't know whether he was going to drink a lot. And my mother was busy. And she was an untreated Al-Anon that was busy, constantly trying to correct whatever situation that was going on in our home and keep it within the confines of our home. That's what I know. And when I came out, I tell you what, I, I don't know why, but from, 
from elementary school, junior high, high school, whatever, I started out deciding that I'd better learn how to survive in this situation. And some people talk about when they get into Alcoholics Anonymous feeling real beaten down and, and whatever. i got to tell you, for some reason, early on, I began to develop the arrogance that I referred to. I decided that I was much better than everybody else. and I was taller. I was richer. I was whatever. I had to believe that. In fact, I had to believe it just to be in the same room with you. Because remember, my arrogance was built on absolute terror because I'm never going to be enough. If I was enough, the things that were happening at home wouldn't be happening. I grew up a long time believing that if I had just, my, my brother was this uh, really calm child and, and, you know, he did things like that his parents told him to do. And I came out that tornado that's described in the book. I was an alcoholic in training, I think, from the beginning. And and I thought if I could have been better, if I hadn't been like that, maybe the chaos in my home would not have been like that. Because I didn't know that I lived in alcoholism. Let me tell you about that. My, I'll never forget standing in my kitchen one time, and I don't remember how old I was, but I noticed that my mother had my father's face in her hands. And, and she said, now, Ray, I want you to go to work, and then I want you to come home. Go to work, come home. Well, you think it's funny, but I got to tell you, I went, oh, my God, my dad is retarded. <laughs> this is an impossibility. I am smart. I'm, I am a smart kid, and I'm already figuring out. But I got to tell you something. Again, you know why we can laugh at these things today? Because we've healed from them. I am not laughing at this point standing in that kitchen. I thought, you know, I can't let anybody know. This situation, because I am, I am in horrible, horrible fear. But then I began to realize that he really, he never had trouble getting up in the morning and going to work. He had a little trouble with that coming home part. <laughs> and then I began to learn about that. And this is what's so significant to my sobriety even today. And that is when my mother taught us from the, from the get-go, drinking's bad. Doesn't everybody know that? Drinking's bad, and so people who drink are very bad. And they should be punished. And I know today that she believed that to her core, and she believed that she should teach us that so that we would not live a life of ruin or failure. You know, it was that deep-seated in her own mind. Well, i got to tell you, we did it because my father would go to work. My mother would get home from work and start making dinner, and it would start out kind of calm. But the closer it got to 5 o'clock when we're supposed to sit down as a family and eat, it got a little tense, you know, because, you know, then the food's kind of moving around a little faster and and the truck isn't coming in the driveway. And you know what's interesting? And I, I can laugh about it today. He didn't come home yesterday at 5 o'clock, but we're still expecting him to come home today. It's called alcoholism. We just think, okay, but and but then you know what? And I don't mean this in any kind of derogatory uh, deal, but I got to tell you that does not get a pre-Alanon down. It doesn't get them down. They immediately go into Plan B. My mother would walk <laughs> over to the phone, pick it up, and start dialing the, the all the bars, which the numbers are post pasted by the phone. Okay. So she calls, is Ray Burkhalter there? No, it's Ray Burkhalter. Of course, he's not there. He's not there and he's not there. So now we know where he isn't. So she would put us in the car to go get him where he isn't. You know, I, I didn't think it was funny then. And the, there, there's a piece, I, I guess, I always comes up for me when I, when, I, when I make that statement that isn't funny. And that's that alcoholism doesn't leave anybody out. You know, I didn't want to get in the car and go fight. I thought it was great. Leave him over there. I didn't like him very much. He was ruining my whole life already. I couldn't have slumber parties. I couldn't go and do things that other kids do because you don't know who's home. You don't know what it's going to look like today or tomorrow or whenever. He's ruining my whole Leave him over there. But we would get in the car, and i got to tell you, she could find that sucker. <laughs> Even though as alcoholics, you know how we park around back so the car becomes invisible? I'm telling you, she could, we would go most of the time on the first try. And she'd send one of us in there, and, 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 and I don't know how many times. It seems like a lot of my life I was walking into a smoky bar and saying, Daddy, Mother wants you to come home. And that was never, you know, what he preferred. And he'd say, go tell Mama to take you on home. 
Well, that's not the right answer. And so you get come in and out. And what I know today is because of you is that I humiliated my father one day at a time by walking in there. And he would eventually just come on out and say, come on, let's go home. And the reason I know, I absolutely know that I was raised in alcoholism is because my mother on most occasions would say to either my brother and I or I or both, I want you to ride home with your daddy. Now, she had no idea how much she had had to drink. And I know that she would not have put me in harm's way for anything. But what she did know is if I was in the car with my dad, he would come home. And that's what we needed because we're going to have that dinner. We're going to sit down like a family. You know, I can't eat at 5 o'clock today. I mean, I just start, I just, I just, I just have to, I have to let it fly on by and then I go, okay, now I can eat. Everything's calm. It's alcoholism. And I got to tell you, we did that one day at a time because he, and one time I was the one that blew it. He would get to the table and I'd usually say, daddy, do you think, and she'd cut those eyes around and she'd say, don't you talk to him. And in my mind, because remember how smart I am, I don't really want you to forget that. Um, I would say, okay, he wasn't here. Things were kind of calm. We found out where he wasn't. We went and got him where he wasn't. We brought him home so we could not talk to him. You know, I couldn't wait to get married. I thought, you know, okay, this... I think this family life's for me. No, I mean, i got to tell you. And you got to feed them even when they don't want to be fed, you know. But anyway, well, let me tell you why that's so significant. Because I want you to know, I, didn't, I hadn't taken a drink. I graduated from high school. I hadn't taken a drink. I'm not going to be pathetic. And unfortunately, that's what I called my father. I hated him with every fiber of my being. And I hated my mother because it just seemed fair. She liked him and I didn't like, I mean, it just, I couldn't, I just could not bear them. I couldn't wait to get away from that home. But I'm not going to take a drink because I know drinking's bad. People who drink are very bad and they should be punished. And I want you to know that I wish we had more time for me to tell you about my four years in college where people party. But I want you to know that I didn't take a drink during those years, but I punished everybody I knew that drank. (laughs) I punished them and I punished them in every way that I knew how. Thinking, absolutely. I could look you in the eye and, and say, I'm only doing this for your own good. I did not want those people to become like my father. I was, I was just a delight to have around. <laughs> so I graduate from, uh, from college, and, and now and I'm, I'm going to be a teacher. You know, I'm just going to, people are going to move so their children can come to my school. Because <laughs> that's what i got to think. I'm never going to be enough. I wish that that arrogance had been built on some foundation of confidence. But the truth is is that I got that hole already forming in my soul. The wind's already blowing through. I'm not going to be enough. I'll never be enough. But I turned that into making you believe that I thought I was exceptional. It's rather exhausting, by the way. Because when when I got back in that house and I locked the door, I never liked who was home. I wanted to. But I never liked who was home. But when I, when I took one step out of that apartment or out of that house, I put on that, that armor of superiority. Did that day in and day out. But now I'm teaching school, so surely now I'm going to be happy. I'm not even avoiding talking about relationships because there's not any. You know, in alcoholism, you don't learn how to be a partner among partners, a friend among friends, an employee. You, you don't learn that kind of stuff. And I really did. I used to just say I was popular. And the truth is, is that every time I would join a group and they got to know me very well, I had to change groups. I was terrified that you were going to know me from the inside out. And, and if you did, you were going to drop me first. So I just made sure I was out the door. So I knew a lot of people thought I was pretty popular there for a while. till I realized that nobody knew me. And I thought that was going to be just fine. In fact, I remember saying over and over, I will never need another human being as long as I live. I saw what that got you. I don't want to go find them, bring them home, and not talk to them. (laughs) Seemed like a lot of trouble to me. And I lived very isolated for a very long time. But but surely I'm going to be happy now. I'm going to make my own money. And, oh, by the way, I was living in singles apartments, very nice, in Houston, Texas. And I'm driving a brand-new car that my father had bought. But don't forget, he owes me. He owes me. I am not 
participating in any part of their lives. Couldn't wait to get away from them. But I never had trouble checking, putting his checks in my bank account. And that's something I don't ever want to forget. I'm not proud of that. But, you know, I lived most of my early adult life thinking they owed me. And I was going to take them for everything they had. I made up some pretty uh, uh, remarkable stories about things when I needed money because I knew I could manipulate them in a heartbeat because they, too, knew what our experience was having grown up in that home. And my parents tried to, to change that with money from my earliest memory, and I took advantage of that one day at a time. But now I'm out there in the schools, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm going to I'm going to. Everything's going to change. I'm going to be happy, right? I'm going to like who's home at night. Didn't happen. Then I get a call one day, and it's those same people that I punished literally for four years in college, those friends that I uh, carried around and and monitored for four years. (laughs) I was the designated everything because I was the designator of the designated person. Okay. (laughs) Trust me, if we I was horrible. To these people. But they found out I lived in these singles apartments and there's a pool down, beautiful Olympic sized pool, and there's partying going on and, and, and people barbecuing and they wanted to come and party. And my mouth said, Let's party. Well, I'm sure after their head stopped spinning, um, they were like, You mean you're going to party? And I said, Oh, yeah, let's party. Now, see, this is where I got it that all the things I told you up until now became. More significant than I can tell you. See, in one moment's time, I'm willing to compromise everything I believe in to my very core. I wish I could tell you I did that. I said, yeah, let's drink. Let me take that first drink because I thought it would be fun. Because I thought maybe drinking's not as bad as I think. No. I, I compromised everything I believed in in that one moment's time because I didn't want them to go away. I just wanted somebody to stay. I wanted to somebody, for somebody to be there. And I said, you're, you're right. Let's, let's party. And, uh, they went to get the party supplies. And I don't know why this comes up a lot, but I started getting every large container I had in my apartment out because we were going to party. And I've never had a drink. But I know that if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. Okay? It's kind of interesting to me, you know? I, I didn't have cocktail glasses, so I just got out pitchers, you know? And I thought, you know? So we partied, and I want you to know that we drank, and we drank, and we drank, and we drank, and just like always, those same friends, there were some, you know, passed out in the corner, just like always, that I had to take care of. There were some that were still leaving with people they did not know. (laughs) It was horrible. It was horrible. I, on the other hand, remember walking to my apartment, going in my bathroom, taking off my clothes, getting in my own bed, and the next morning, sleeping through the night, and the next morning I was looking in the mirror, and with heaven above as my witness, I said, I even drink better than other people. <laughs> what on earth could I have possibly been worried about it? You know, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's people like my dad who are uneducated. I mean, those are the pathetic ones. Those are the ones that can't tell right from wrong. And I meant that to my core. I had to believe that because you know what? I've broken all my, everything I believe in. And I want you to know that I did punish myself on more than one occasion because I believe that you should be punished if you drink. And yet I've given up all that. I'd love to tell you some great, uh, uh, drunk stories, but then I'd actually be telling somebody else's story. Um, the truth is, is that I was pretty boring. I, because uh, I, I had rules about drinking. I don't want you to think that I was one of those people who were, was an irresponsible drinker. Okay. And I, I, first of all, I only drank when I really needed to. You know, like I was really angry or maybe really sad. Or whatever. I mean, I didn't go to parties and drink. That was for people like you that drove drunk. I just couldn't believe. I'm still just. I just can't believe it. I'm drinking, but I cannot believe there are people like you out there, you know, on the roads. And and I'm not going to break any of those rules. I'm not going to break any of those rules. Those rules were important to me, and, and it kept me believing that I would never be in trouble around my drinking. Because now, oh, by the way, I've gone and gotten another degree. I have my master's degree to prove yet again 
how smart I am. I got my master's degree in nine months, and I made straight A's. If you want to write that down, feel free. Because let me tell you something. I'm drinking now. I fed this alcoholic alcohol, right? And so I couldn't drink but on weekends, but that was one of my rules. And I swear, I think I thought that when I was in Michigan at the time, caused quite havoc there. Never seen snow, and I ran into a few things. But um, but I came home to Texas, and I think there was a part of me that thought I'd be walking through a mall one day, and people would go, oh, my God, is it you? <laughs> the one who got your master's degree in nine months made all that? I don't know. I just... I, I would, it's another example of having to hold on to something outside of me to prove that I'm okay. But that, so, I'm, so now I'm even smarter. But I'm drinking. But I'm drinking responsibly. Don't forget that. <laughs> Only when I need to. Well, i got to tell you, something happened. And nobody in this room is happier than I am that it happened. And that is that I finally broke the rules. And let me tell you why I say that. I don't really know where I am. I mean, I actually know I'm in Omaha, but I don't know Omaha. But I suspect that there's a housing addition probably relatively close to this hotel. And I can assure you that somewhere in in a house in that neighborhood, somebody's taking a drink right now, and they said they weren't going to do it. I remember that. I'm not going to do it today. And they're taking a drink right now, and they said, I'm not going to do it. And there's somebody who's saying, I don't know if I can stay. I don't know whether to go or whether to stay. I don't know what I'm... There's some kid in a closet wondering when to come out right here on this Thursday night in Omaha, Nebraska. There's no question in my mind. Because, see, for a long time I thought as long as I'm in the privacy of my own home, I'm not hurting anybody. And I know I could have died there. I know I could have died there drinking because, boy, I'd go to the party, judge you then for, for drinking and driving, and then drive home and, and, and sometimes drink myself almost into alcohol poisoning. But I was in the privacy of my home. I'm not hurting anybody. And I'm so grateful I broke the rules. I didn't mean to. Now, I don't want you to think that I, like, let, let me just say drinking and driving. I don't want you to think it was an insignificant event. I was coaching at the time, and, of course, we all know you are what your job is. Right? Okay. Got that straight. Um, well, there's this big championship game, and of course my team is in the championship. So we're playing, and then we lose. Now, that's hard to tell you, but it really happened. We lost the game. Now, I'm a total failure immediately, don't you? I'm, I'm a failure because we lost the game. Okay? And that night, and we're supposed to go out to dinner, and said, I said, fine, we'll go out to dinner. And I wasn't hungry, and I began to drink. And then they were going to go listen to some music. That's fine. And I began to drink, and I drank, and I drank. Now, I'd like to tell you that that was in the Olympic Games, um, WNBA. Uh, okay, it was a junior high, seventh grade basketball championship. <laughs> but I'm ruined. I don't know that the Olympic Committee's ever going to call me now. Alcohol. Anyway, but I realized I've been drinking for, for hours, and it's time to go home, and I've got the keys in my hand. And I thought, well, you know, I, I, I won't ever do this again, but i got to get home. i got to get home. And I drove home that night, and by the grace of God, I didn't hurt myself or anybody else. But I said, I won't do that anymore. I'll never do that again. And I didn't, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to break those rules. Another rule that I broke, and I, I just, wow. Maybe some of you remember saying, I'll, I'll never drink in the morning. I'll never drink in the morning. That just seems way too pathetic. <laughs> and I'll never need to. And I only drink when I need to, okay? I'll never forget the, that morning when I woke up, and I'm not sure which feels the worst. And I'm being very sincere. I don't know if it feels worse to realize that I was shaking and I needed a drink or if it it felt worse that I looked over on the nightstand and there was a drink. It was already there. It knew. I already knew I was going to need it at some point. And I was devastated. And remember how smart I am? I got to pull it back together. I got to wait. I got to wait a minute. Just give me a second. I got to pull this back together. I'm breaking my own rules. I'm not going to do this anymore. Well, I am grateful. I thank God to this day that I broke the rules enough 
I compromised myself in every way possible. I'd like to remember that first time I drank and I went to my own room, my own bathroom, my own bed. That didn't exactly happen every time (laughs) after that. And that's all I'm going to say about that, okay? There were some alterations to that particular situation through the years. And I'm going to tell you about my last drunk because it's as humiliating to me and, and I want to be, there's possibility that there's some new people here. And, and I got to tell you, drinking is but a symptom. And I want you to know that, that I don't want to take that first drink under any circumstance, no matter what. But I got to tell you, I compromise myself in, in every other way too. I was having a dinner party and I had a lovely home and, with a hot tub, and we'd wired music out onto the yard, and, and people that I taught school with and neighbors and friends were there. And uh, about two weeks prior to this uh, event, I'd been at a bar, and we were dancing, and all of a sudden they turned off the music and asked everybody to leave the dance floor. I was a little offended. But I, I remember stepping back, and the occasion was is that some bodybuilding, men and women bodybuilders were there and had just won this big championship, right? And they were going to perform. And I'd never seen bodybuilders. So we were to step back, and I watch this bodybuilding routine. Oh, don't get ahead of me. Because <laughs> it's bad enough where we're going. Okay. Now, remember, I'm just having a dinner party. With people that I respected and respected me. Well, the same song came on. Yeah. I was in the hot tub with nothing on. And I became a bodybuilder. I can do anything. Now, I wish I'd, I'd become a bodybuilder in the hot tub. Oh, no. I jumped out of the hot tub onto the deck. And for the entire song of The Rose, which is very long, I get an opportunity today to sing it a lot, and it's very difficult. I did a bodybuilding routine. If we were measuring, you know, two twos, wearing two twos, I would have been a ten-ten at that time. It was not pretty. But I want you to know that I saw them ripple. I saw my muscles ripple. I know I did, because surely I would have stopped if I hadn't seen them ripple, okay? Now, again, I'm going to tell you, it's a funny story. I can laugh, but I want you to know, you know what, when it wasn't funny, the next day when somebody had to wake me up and tell me how I had humiliated people. It wasn't funny that, that in, the, in my home with people who were not even remotely impressed that I had. And I got to tell you, I kept saying, you know, I, I, I've got to get it together. And I've got to reevaluate. I'm a teacher, I think, in four-year plans. I've got to get this, I've got to get back on track. You know what? Thank God I couldn't get back on track. And one day I was uh, embarrassing myself in public and someone who had lived with a recovering alcoholic for eight years literally threw me in my car and said, you know what? You're not going to embarrass yourself in in this place any longer. I'm going to drive you home, but I want to tell you that you have a problem with alcohol and there's a solution. I looked at it. I went, there's got to be somebody else in this car. Because I went, you don't get it. I only drink when it's necessary, and right now that, that's quite a solution because, you know, I, I, when I get on edge, remember that edge, you know, i gotta, I got to have a drink to kind of smooth things out. I didn't realize quite how edgy I'd gotten. <laughs> you know, I was just, I was edgy a lot, and I was needed to smooth it. But you know what? Again, I, I wasn't being cute. I wasn't being funny. I believed that. I believe that. And you know what? She said, I'm going to take you somewhere where there's some information and you can do whatever you want to with it. And I don't know why I said, okay. You don't think there's a God that's huge? I just said, okay. Because I'm clueless that I'm in trouble. Just give me a minute. I can get this. Maybe I need to go back to school. Maybe I need. Just give me a minute. Boy, I don't ever want to forget that feeling inside. Just give me a minute. I think I can pull this back together. And I remember her handing me that uh, that 
meeting schedule. She said, look, there's one tomorrow night at 7 o'clock on North Lamar in Austin, Texas. I can pick you up. I can meet you there. I cannot go. You cannot go. And I was like, fine, meet me there. (sighs) How hard could this be? I don't know why I went to that meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, but what I do know, then I don't, I want to tell you again to let you know clearly of my arrogance. I went home, and the first thing I did is looked in my closet to see what had just come back from the cleaners that I could wear to this Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Because I was going to look good. I wasn't sure what you were going to look like. I wasn't going to really stick around or talk to you or anything. But, but the truth is, is that I was going to look good, and I thought I did. Uh, some of you in your first year, I can't wait till you pick up that first year chip or cake and they tell you what you really look like in that first meeting. Because I gotta tell you, I thought I walked in going, <laughs> how are you? You know? <laughs> you know, and you pick up that first year chip and they tell you, that you're just, Ugh. you know, they come, they come at you from different, uh, welcome, welcome, oh good, no, you welcome, no, no, yeah, you're welcome. I mean, you're always welcome because you were already here. <laughs> oh god, yeah. Okay. I had no idea that I, I was just skitzy. But let me tell you a little bit about that first meeting. It was a small one, which was unfortunate for them. Um, and I couldn't believe the things that you talked about. I mean, this obsession with not drinking. It didn't matter what you talked about. You said, but I didn't take a drink. I was just like, oh, God. Da, 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 but I'm not going to drink today. Don't drink. Don't drink. I'm going. Boy, they, I mean, this seems to be a pretty important topic. You know, this don't drink, don't drink, don't drink. And, and I'm ready for you to tell me what to do when I'm edgy if I'm not going to drink. And I'm not kidding you. I'm memorizing steps. I am, I am nuts. And then you asked me to come back the next night. And I want you to know that they called on me because it was small and they got to me. And... Uh, and, of course, I didn't talk about not drinking. I don't know anything about not drinking. But I really told them the real problem that I was having. And I told them, and I told them, and I told them, and I am just kind of want them to get the full impact of what's going on in my life and what a problem it is to me. And, and that other people are really bugging me about other problems, but they weren't my problems, and I'm telling them the problem. And I, I remember the chairperson's eyes just rolled back in his head. And he was just like, like, and he waited for at least a comma. There was never a period. He just, when I got to a comma, he said, okay, and let me just tell you, we have another meeting. You know, and he stopped me. I don't ever want to forget that. Because when you invited me back, I thought you wanted me to finish my story. <laughs> oh, these people are really, I got an audience here. And maybe they're going to help me out because I am troubled. I'm troubled. Nothing's working in my life. And I am so smart that I don't have a clue that I, if this is life and death. But you know what? I went back the next night, and I went back the next night and the next day, and I'm not an alcoholic. And you keep telling me to come back, and you give me phone. I can't, what a tribute to Alcoholics Anonymous. I would not have come back had you not invited me. I didn't need it. I didn't need you. But let me tell you something. Alcoholics Anonymous is the miracle, the absolute most significant miracle of the 20th century. It's the only thing, the only thing. That, in my opinion, made it possible for me to stop being what I wasn't in the first place and begin to be the person that I always wanted to be. Right there in Alcoholics Anonymous. But it wasn't from sitting in a chair. But that's what I did. i got to tell you, for about the first three years, uh, you know, I'd kind of balance in a chair and wait for you to make me feel better. And, uh, and when you didn't make me feel better, I thought, well, see, they don't care. And, uh, by the way, you'd have to chase me to make me feel better because I came late and left early. Because I was terrified that I belonged there. But let me tell you how I knew I was an Alcoholics Anonymous. I absolutely knew I was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I didn't mean to, by the way. I didn't pick up my one-month chip or three-month... I'm not going to stay. I remember, for an example, thinking... This gentleman introduced himself, and in Texas we always give our sobriety date. And, and he said, you know, I've been sober since, whatever, 1972. And I thought, that is so... Sad. <laughs> you know, everybody was kind of going. I'm like, because remember what I've been doing, man. I thought twelve things. Even if we go over here to the graduate program or whatever, I, how how can it take this many years to do twelve things? So even if I figure out I don't need to be here. I'm tutoring this guy. 
aren't you sorry you weren't there? Okay? Guess what happened? People like you, I know people in this crowd right now that, that mean a lot to me. People like some of the people I absolutely know in, in, in the rooms full of chased me out of the rooms a couple of times and said, well, you know, we're going to lunch. Remember how smart I was? I remember the Saturday morning women's meeting, and they'd chase me out and say, we're going to lunch today. Would you like to go? And I'd go, well, I would, but I'm going out of town. <laughs> Next week, well, I would, but I'm going out of town. I was like a pool toy. I'm going out of town. I'm going out of town. <laughs> I couldn't even think of something. In a, in, and I was like, geez, I've got to stop. <laughs> and about, I don't know, about... Three months into, out, into meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, I left the world-famous Bolden group on Bolden Avenue, and I live in South Austin, and I'm driving home. I just want to go home. The meeting's over, and I told them I was going out of town. <laughs> and I kept driving past my house, and I'm going, who in the heck's going to know? I don't know why you think this is so important, because I'm, I'm driving. And I keep driving down North Lamar, if you're from 290. Get on the highway. And I drove to a little town called Dripping Springs. And I remember pulling off, getting out of my car to make sure that even my back tires were out of Austin and into Dripping Springs. (laughs) Because I couldn't lie to you anymore. Boy, you remember that minute, that moment in time? I thought, i got to go out of town. I felt so horrible. But be careful. Be careful. Because if you don't want this deal, if you don't want the great life that sobriety brings, be careful. Because if you go to one too many meetings, you won't be able to lie to us anymore. I became a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then all those suggestions began that I I heard from day one. You're going to need to get a sponsor. And I thought... You know, has anybody been to graduate school for this? I mean, I want, I want somebody that's going to know that I'm not going to take 30 years. Okay, and stuff like that. All those things are haunting me now because I'm going, and I'm yelling at the top of my lungs. I can't believe I drove out here. I can't believe that. And tears are flowing. I didn't cry at that time. I was way too cool. And all of a sudden, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I thought, I, I want a sponsor. I want to do what you do. Let me tell you something. At about three years sobriety, I, I met Linda and Dennis Lamphere, and I tell you, they've both gone to the meeting in the sky way too soon. And let me tell you what they did. Now's the good news. I've got some great news. I began to find out that there's a huge difference in not drinking and living in recovery. I'd been, a, you know, and he said, but let me tell you something. The first thing that you've got to know about living in recovery is... It's not a spectator sport. <laughs> I kept waiting for something to happen. And the truth is, and said, because you know what? I can make you some promises that can come true in your life for the rest of your life if you will do this one day at a time. He said, it's not a spectator sport. And you know, some of those yeah buts are, um, you know how you say things to your sponsor, you just wish you could sort of suck back in. One time I called him and to tell him that I had, I wanted him to know that I had identified the steps that were going to be appropriate to me. <laughs> oh, God. Not a good plan. Things like that, you know, I would do to him. He, but let me tell you something, because I hope you have somebody that loves you this much in your life. Let me tell you about this sponsor. One time, you know, it's early sobriety, early sobriety for me, and, and something had happened at work that was wrong. You with me? It was wrong. It was wrong, wrong, wrong. So I cannot wait to get home so I can call him to tell him how wrong it was and how we were going to figure out how to make it right. It was somebody else that was wrong, you understand. And so I'm driving, you know, not very soberly, even though I was sober home, and I picked up the phone, and I'm dialing it, and thank God he picks it up in the first ring, and I said, Oh, I'm so glad you're home, because I want to tell you, and he said, Whoa. I said, yeah. He said, this sounds very important to you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And he said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, why don't you give me a second? I'm going to get a cup of coffee. And I said, okay, I'll wait. And he said, oh, no, you go ahead. You like me a lot better now, don't you, than what I had to put up, even in early sobriety. And I said, what? He said, I figure by the time I get back, 
we'll get to the exact nature of the wrong. (laughs) And then we'll get into the solution. See, he loved me that much. He loved me that much. And here's what happened. So you heard about how it was. You heard about what brought me to Alcoholics Anonymous and and my arrogance and my terror and all that's mixed up together. And me finding out that I couldn't. Oh, by the way, when I became a real alcoholic, you told me not to drink. And I thought, no problem. About three weeks in, this is a problem. (laughs) It's not drinking. But I didn't take a drink. I didn't take a drink. And I want you to know that you can do it for all the wrong reasons. I was afraid maybe you were following me around and I wasn't going to get caught breaking the rules. Because I'm pretty important by this time in Alcoholics Anonymous. But I didn't drink. Oh, sorry, I usually hit people. But anyway. Uh, but think about that. I'm not drinking even though I don't believe that this is really something that's necessary for me. So not drinking is a, is a great idea. And it's also... Something one should do before you think it's a great idea. Or if you're like me, you'll never not drink. And I got that. But now I'm being, I'm realizing that I really want what these people have. It's called living in recovery. So I'm not, I'm not starting every sentence with, yeah, but, uh, well, do you, uh, I'm going, okay. And I have a wonderful way to describe how it is now for me in my life. But it started Back then, when I chose to live in recovery, I was having a a day. You know, a a day can be dramatic for me. I know it's hard for you to tell, but uh, I was having a day. And I thought, you know, I've been going to meetings. I've been reading that big book. And that is not a good time, by the way, when you're noticing all the wonderful things that you are doing. It's not a particularly good time to call your sponsor. But I did. And I remember dialing the phone. I said, you know, I'm working pretty hard. He said, yes, you are. You are working hard. And I said, well, I was just kind of wondering, what am I going to get? Uh, Yeah, I know what you're thinking, but they trick you every time. He said, I'm so glad you asked that. You know me. I said, well, I've been meaning to ask you, you know. <laughs> but the truth is, he said, I'll tell you what, I, I am so glad that now you choose recovery. and You haven't taken a drink one day at a time. I want to make you some promises today that I believe can define your life and help you stay as happy, joyous, and free as you choose for the rest of your life. Don't take a drink one day at a time. I'm like, wow. I said, you mean like the ones in the book? He said, no, I have some special ones for you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. He said, let me tell you something. If you won't take a drink, you will never be drunk again. (laughs) I got to tell you, it might not mean anything to you, but I thought, oh, well, you know, he went to Texas Tech. Uh, you know, this may be, I may have erred here. Well, you know what? It, with, it brings tears to my eyes when I think about that today. Because guess what? It's one of the coolest, it's one of the most significant promises that's still true for me 23 and some months later. See, I haven't taken a drink, and I've never been drunk again. I've never cause the problems that drunkenness caused for me, or you. That promise is still true for me today. Because when I ask in the morning, please, just help me not to take that drink, and I say thank you at night. My God is so faithful that that promise is still coming true, and He's guaranteed me that it could come true for the rest of my life. He said, I want to promise you something. I promise you, if you'll go to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, and maybe a lot of them, You will meet people who feel the same way you do on the inside, even though they don't look like you do on the outside. It's no surprise to you that I wanted to know what kind of car you drove, what neighborhood did you live in. That's the best I could bring you. But that I wanted my whole life for me to be able to sit down and just talk to you, and you absolutely look into my eyes and know I don't have to describe terror in this room. And we may never have the same experience actual experience 
And you know what? 23 years later, that is still so true. It's a promise that's still coming true. I have some new health issues that I have done. Everything I can to deny and not accept. I'm I'm working hard on it. I want you to know. But you've taught me to live one day at a time. And I can walk into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and without fail, when I'm my most stubborn, somebody talks about having a catastrophic illness and believing that God's big enough to take care of every single thing. I'm like, oh, it's not a spectator sport. So that's still coming true for me. And you know what I'm absolutely assured of is that I will not be the same after this meeting. I can't be because of you. It's your fault, clearly. (laughs) I can't be the same. Because I've been with you, and I have the privilege of being with you all weekend. Can't be the same. That's a promise I'll give to you if you're new. He promised me that if I'd study the literature, I'd already gone back and gotten another degree. So he loved to say, what part of, uh, what do you do with a textbook, professor? And I'd say, well, you study. He said, read that first page. It says the basic text. Don't read it, study it. I've had the privilege of having people I sponsor in my home to study it. I've gone to other people's home, my home group, which happens to be the best, the unity group in Denton, Texas. We study the literature. That's what it says. And you know what the promise was? Every problem you have and every problem you cause, the answers are in the literature. 23 years later, that's what it's like for me in my life today. I can pick up that book and I can count on it, reminding me who I am, reminding me to, to trust God. And reminding me that I have a choice to live happy, joyous, and free one day at a time. But the answers are all there. He made another promise. He said, let me tell you something. God will always be big enough. I went, whoa. God will always be big enough? No matter what. And so let me tell you something. If you have doubt of that, I want you to take a second, take a deep breath and realize who the judge is that thinks he's not. Like, oh, I got it. I'm the one putting limits on God when I don't think it. Let me tell you a great example quickly of how I know God is big enough. Remember those parents that I divorced a long time ago but just took their money? One day at a time, I treated them like second-class citizens, and I'm not proud of that. But I am so grateful to tell you some good news because I worked the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I got a chance to not only make amends to them verbally and in a direct amends. Before my father died, he got cancer, and I, and I said, what do I need to do? And I followed every direction that my sponsor gave me. And i got to tell you, they don't make sense, do they? They don't make sense. I would, he's lying in a hospital bed, and I'd say, I don't know what to do. And she said, go touch him. And I went, touch him? <laughs> Never touched him. Are, are we re- kind of forgetting that he didn't come to my high school graduation? <laughs> I think she said something like, you know, that, that might have been a concern when you were 20, but you're 50. No. <laughs> so, and I said, but I, 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 I want to be, I want to do it. I, But let me tell you something. I walked in there and I grabbed his foot because it was the best I could do. I'm smart. I think I'm way cool. But the best I could do is grab his foot. I walked out, checked it off, and I said, I touched him. She said, why why don't you tell him you love him? Just touch him and tell him you love him. And I walked in that hospital room the next day. And I want you to know that it didn't make much sense to grab his foot. I remember taking his shoulder and looking at him in the eye and said, Oh, Daddy, I I just wanted to tell you that I love you. And Cheryl's picking me up for lunch. And we're going to go over here and get some sandwiches. We're going to come back. If you need anything, why don't you let me pick it up? Because it's the best I could do. Remember what I brought Alcoholics Anonymous? That's the best I could do. Because I don't know God's big enough yet. And I want you to know that for the rest of his life, up until December the 25th at 4 p.m., 1988, when he went home, every day I saw him, I touched him, and I looked him in the eyes, and I told him that I loved him. See, yet because of people like you, I forgot to remember all the resentment, the baggage that I'd carried my whole life. And somebody that loved me more than I ever knew how to said, you know, that past is ugly. It sounds like you don't like it. Why do you choose to live there today? I went, whoa. Whoa. Let me tell you something. 
God is big enough to take it away. God's big enough. And I went, oh, okay. And I started treating him like a father, and I asked questions, and we didn't talk about the weather. And one day at a time, the last words we ever spoke were, I love you more than you will ever know. How does that happen? So then, you know, you call your sponsor, and, you know, my father did die. There's no bargains. And so the, the first thing out of his mouth was, you know, I think you ought to start doing this with your mother. I said, my mother's not sick. (laughs) Okay, so we don't get well quickly. Some of us are sicker than others. But are you ready for that? I went, okay. You'd already, I was already hooked. I want what you have. I want to feel that feeling of having my father look me in the eye and tell me that he loved me more than I'd ever know. And I want you to know that I want to speed this up, that for 12 years I got a chance to do a living amends with my mother. Remember, somebody that I talked down to and that I judged and deemed pathetic. And one day at a time, and then that call came in May of 2000. My little mother said, you know, I... I've been to the doctor today, and he says it's time that I can't live alone. You know, you had said I could live with you, but I just—I guess I just needed to make sure. And I want you to hear something, because you know me as well as anybody in my life now. See, I wasn't going, well, of course, you know, that's what good daughters do. No, i got to tell you that I almost dropped the phone because I went, I got the call. See, if I was drinking, if I'd led the life that I thought was the best plan. I wouldn't have gotten the call. I don't want to kid myself. And I said, oh, mother, I would be so honored. And I want you to know that one day at a time, I did things that I don't know how to do because God's big enough. I combed her hair. And then I drove her to the beauty shop because I had combed her hair. <laughs> I, I painted her little nails. I don't know how to do it. Somebody has to. I mean, we shook, I shook. Why am I telling you this? What does this have to do with sobriety? Everything. Because you told me it wasn't a spectator sport. And he's telling me that God is big enough. And I did things that I don't know how to do. I don't cook or give directions to people I love. And I got up every morning and I cooked breakfast for my mother. Whatever she wanted. I did whatever she needed. And I want you to know that our last words... Where I looked, I, she was in a hospital room and I was leaving. And for some reason, because she was sitting in a chair, I knelt before her. And I looked up in her sweet face and I just, I don't know if I've told you today how grateful I am that you're my mama. That you're my mama. And I want to thank you for all that you are and all that you've given me. I didn't know that five hours later, on November the 21st, year 2000, she would be gone. If that's all I had to prove that God was big enough, it'd be enough for me. If that's all I had to thank you for, it'd be enough for me. But we don't have time for me to tell you all the things that I owe Alcoholics Anonymous. But I want you to know that no regrets. My parents left this earth knowing that my, my God and my sobriety came first. And as a result, I became a, a, a daughter, the daughter that I'd always wanted to be. He made another promise for me that will just blow your head off. He said, <laughs> I don't know where I get this stuff. Right? I mean, it's phenomenal, particularly if you're in your first year of sobriety. This just, this just blew me away. He said, if, if you'll work with me as a sponsor, because he didn't want me to be as creative as I'd been in the past. He said, if you'll work with a sponsor and work the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, in order with somebody who's worked the steps. You can become anybody you want to be. Remember that old girl that went home at night and locked the door and didn't like who was home? I wanted to. I kept thinking more education, better schools, whatever. What was it going to be? And I, I couldn't believe it. Well, how could we doubt that when you think about the steps? Admitting utter defeat. And then, does anybody leave? I know and even in Omaha, I bet they don't leave you on the first step. They don't say, oh, you're powerless. Let's pray. <laughs> that would be scary. But the truth is, they say there are 11 other solutions that if you'll do with a sponsor, you can become anybody you want to be. And in the second and third step, I formed a partnership that is indescribable with my God, my sponsor, and my fellowship. And it's a good thing. Because now it's time to get to work on the fourth through the ninth step, which, by the way, helped me 
Take away what I wasn't. All the things that I brought to you that I hated about myself and hated about others and carried around like a precious possession, the fourth through the ninth step helped me put it down. Take out the trash. I love, I'm I'm known as kind of the trash lady in, in the Metroplex because I always say, think about this. You know, sometimes we collect trash and we get it all sorted out, but then we're, we're not sure we want to take it out. What if I need it? Then you take it to the curb and you kind of, you know, I could see myself on occasion. I wouldn't do it in the daytime because I'm way too cool, but in the night with a flashlight going, (laughs) picking through the trash sometimes. I have to think it like this now. But when I get it to the curb, the sixth through the, and the seventh step assures me that the trash man's coming. In Denton, Texas, they've never knocked on my door and said, girl, that's some trashy trash out there and we ain't taking it. So if I've got my trash at the curb that's in my very soul, all the trash that I kept trying to push down harder, maybe it would go out with my feet or something. I took it to the curb because my sponsor showed me how, and I didn't go get it. And guess what? God is faithful. He took out the trash. Isn't that amazing? And then I cleaned up all the things that my sponsor helped me see in that eight step. I did that. And then 10, 11, 12 give me another opportunity one day at a time to keep doing it. So that my trash doesn't get built up. What? And, and I get, I, I want to, I can look you all in the eye today and tell you that I like who's home tonight. And we're not done yet. I like who's home. I am becoming the person I want to be. And it's a direct result of living in recovery and working the steps of alcoholic songs. He made me a little past promise that I like to close with. He said, Nancy, if you'll give away just a little bit of what's been so freely given to you, Sometimes I think that's all I do. Give away a little bit. You will get back tenfold. And all you have to do is just look around this room and see that I, as I stand here tonight, I'm getting back more than that. And for that, I'm grateful. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.